nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. Well, 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 welcome to another episode of the Zika Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Now, this is going to be, I'm not going to say part two, but I'll follow up on my last episode because we talked about the gut-brain connection. We talked about autoimmunity. But today, I have Dr. Nicole Fujiyama, and we're even going to get deeper into the gut, into the gut, inflammation, oxidative stress, how medications can impact it, multiple sclerosis, and so many fantastic topics. So I've been waiting to get Nicole on this show for a long time. So this is going to be a treat for you. Not just a treat for you, but a treat for me because she's fantastic. But before I bring her on, I have an announcement to make. And in my last episode, I did announce it, but I don't think I did a good enough job. So I'm going to redo it this time. And I'm doing the drum roll, even though it's the second time around. So here we go. I think I did that wrong. But I have finally released the Zico recommendation page. That's everything I've ever recommended for weight loss, health, gut health, immunity, so on and so forth. And not just supplements. I'm talking about things that I drink. Like right now, I'm drinking um, an MCT cocoa, which is so delicious. It's made with stevia, so it's, it keeps your blood sugar steady. MCT oils, especially if you're on a keto diet, is great for your brain. And it's del- so delicious, you think that you're cheating. It's from Key Nutrients. All these are on the Zico recommendation page. And I'll make sure that that page is in the show notes and in the description of the podcast. And at least half the products that are on there, I have a discount code for them as well. So you can save some money on some wonderful products. You can bookmark that page because as time goes along, I'll add more to it. But the Zico recommendation page, you're gonna love it. Now, with that being said, let's bring Dr. Nicole Fujiyama, and she has a bunch of um, abbreviations after her name, and I'll have her explain (laughs) that to the show. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you doing? I am fantastic, fantastic. So, I know about you. I know what you do. I've been following you for a long time. Tell my audience about yourself, your qualifications, your journey. Let us know who you are. All right. My name is Dr. Nicole Fujiyama. I am a naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist. And I did my schooling up in Bastyr University in Washington State. And yeah, been wanting to be a doctor since I was very little. Um, was going the allopathic route, wanted to be an MD. Then through some crazy story, I 
got redirected and found the naturopathic medicine path and was just full force ever since. And that was in, that was a while ago. So I've been practicing for a little bit and it's been a lot of fun. So you tell me you didn't start last week. You actually didn't know yeah. what you're talking about. Okay. I like <laughs> that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I know just a little bit, but like a little, a little bit of, bit. <laughs> but yeah. What song but is, is it? Um, what is it? Uh, a little bit of Erica in my life. A little bit. When you say oh, that, it's so a little bit of Tommy. Is that right? I don't know the lyrics, but I know, I know the song you're talking about. Now you say that that's stuck in my head. I, I yeah. might be ADHD <laughs> or something. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, so let's dive full force into this, baby. What okay. is autoimmunity? So autoimmunity is when you have antibodies that are directed against your own body. And that can be any part of your body. And um, that is not, not good. <laughs> and it's, but it's actually, it's actually pretty common. And I think where people get confused is that between autoimmunity and autoimmune disease. So just because you have these autoantibodies doesn't necessarily mean that you'll actually develop an autoimmune disease. So um, the autoantibodies are kind of like a warning just to pay attention that, hey, there's something going on with your immune system, there's something triggering it, you know, be on the lookout and watch out. So in your practice, before someone develops an autoimmune disease, and thanks for that clarification, because I think most of us really did not know that. How many do really, how many people do you see actually have these, uh, these antibodies? A lot. <laughs> and what's interesting is that it's, People are, I'm seeing them in younger and younger patients and, you know, they, they have other things going on, but I will just do like a full screening of just certain antibodies, not all of them. And they're already showing up, you know, so a lot of these autoantibodies will appear years before you will even develop symptoms related to those autoimmune diseases that it's connected with. So, you know, it's good to keep an eye on them. And especially if you have like any family history of autoimmune diseases, it's, I think it's a good screening, but a lot of the thinking I feel like in conventional medicine is that, you know, it's a waste of money. Like, why would you screen that? Why would you look for that? You know, it's not, it's not causing any issues now, but again, I feel like that will show up years before you actually develop anything. And so why not, you know, especially if you have a family history, just be on the lookout for it. And if you start seeing it, you can actually start doing something about it now. I believe the body's like a car, a lot more complex, of course, but just as a metaphor, where if you take care of the car when it's younger, it's going to last longer and run better older and older on in, in life, right? Or in time. Mm -hmm. But, and then the, the exact opposite happens if you beat it up when it's young. And this annoys me to, to, to no end. Someone, when I tell someone, I have a lot of energy, I feel good, so-and-so, and they say, wait till you get to my age. So, mm -hmm. okay, so I got to wait till I'm 60 to prove to you that I'm healthy. How does that make sense? So then mm -hmm. I ask some questions like, do you drink? Yes. Do you work out? No. Do you do this? No, whatever. So I'm like, okay, so then you can't compare where you are now and think I'm going to feel that way because you feel like that now. My family drives me nuts when they say, 
God, that's part of old age. I said, you know what? I'm almost 40 years old. And every test that I've taken tells me that chronologically, yeah, I'm 39, but I really have the, um, the fitness level of someone in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I don't, you know, I feel like you have power in the words you say, you know, so if you're saying things like that, like, oh, my body feels so old. I feel so old. And you're in like your thirties. You're like, shut up. <laughs> right, you have you know? halfway there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's also that mindset, you know, too. Um, but I feel like a lot of those things, you know, we normalize, but it's actually not normal to have like no energy at the end of the day. You know, it's not normal to be bloated and have all these gut issues when you are in your twenties or thirties. So I think a lot of it is just kind of educating people and making them aware of like, Hey, this is, this is not right. Like it's your body's trying to tell you something. You need to start paying attention. Exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of times we kind of use that as a cop out a little bit too. Of you know what is going to happen anyway. So just kind of deal with it, which I always tell people, I don't like to survive. I like to thrive. That's how yeah. I do everything in my life. Yeah. Um, when I wake up every morning, I open my eyes. I, 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 I sing and I meditate, not best thing in the world, as you can tell. And I show gratitude um, <laughs> for being awake. And I think about how am I going to crush the day today? I don't wait to once a year for my birthday. I'll tell my family that all the time. I don't wait for my birthday to celebrate my life. I celebrate my life every day I get up because I feel balls to the walls amazing every day that I get up. Oh my gosh, I love that. Balls to the walls, amazing. Should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> I know, right? I did it on my Instagram one time and people kept saying, I love that. I'm like, yep, that's my thing. Yeah, it's going to be a shirt. <laughs> Make that into a shirt. <laughs> but yeah, no, and actually with naturopathic medicine, like one of our principles is prevention. You know, so that is like our whole deal is just to prevent illness, right? That's a good doctor is preventing illness um, rather than treating or waiting until someone gets sick and then be like, okay, I have all these things for you to do now. It's like, you don't even want to get there. And the same with autoimmunity, right? You just don't want to progress to an autoimmune disease, right? So we want to start doing things now to prevent that. Exactly. You you want to deal with the root cause and not the symptom of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So let's go a little bit deeper because you you mentioned autoimmunity versus autoimmune diseases, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some common triggers of autoimmune diseases? Okay. So there's a there's a bunch. <laughs> So um, some of the common triggers, well, genetics play a part. It's not a huge part, um, but I think the bigger triggers you want to look at is your lifestyle and environmental triggers. And those are things that we can actually do something about, which is great because that makes up the majority. I feel like the reason why people get autoimmunity and will trend towards an autoimmune disease in the first place. So when you look at your environment, you want to look at things like chronic infections uh, that could be, you know, bacterial, viral, fungal. You want to look at your, the food you're eating. So food sensitivities, um, any sort of toxins on food. So things like pesticides, herbicides, you want to look at your lifestyle, which is a huge one. So how do you manage stress? You know, how's the stress in your life? How are social relationships, you know, with your family, your significant other, your friends, you want to look at smoking, 
you know, do you smoke? I know it's, it's crazy to think that people still smoke, but people still smoke. <laughs> and they also get exposed to secondhand smoke, you know, and also just the area you live in, like LA is very polluted, like the, the air can get very polluted. And those pollutants can actually, you know, trigger autoimmunity as well, too. You want to look at your home, you know, what's in your house? Do you have carpet? Do you have mold? You know, are you using a lot of toxins to clean? Uh, what are you cooking with? Um, and then you want to look at your vitamin deficiency and intake, you know, because that can get depleted for a whole bunch of other reasons too. And then you want to look at your gut health, microbiome, hormone imbalances, you know, and those are just some of the triggers. And for each category, you can really dive in deep to each one and get more specific and even more specific uh, triggers for certain autoimmune diseases based on the research that they have right now. And they're still doing a lot of research on this. And I feel like we're going to see even more research come out in the future, mainly because I feel like COVID is kind of triggering that as well too. And so I feel like they're going to start seeing um, more connections to these autoantibodies and different things that are going on in the body, which is exciting. I know, right? You know, the, the, the virus that we never dare say her name. Oh, I don't sorry. know if it's a her can or I, he. Can I not right? say it? No, I'm just messing with you. Oh, okay. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't no one's ever going to hear this podcast. <laughs> right? It's like, I'm immediately going to be shut down. That's it. I don't know if it's a her or he really, but you know, that's to be determined. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> you're right, you touched on a couple of things. because You gave me a lot to unpack there. So I'm just going to touch on a couple the toxins piece. Mm-hmm. I've talked to people that say organic is a scam. Organic is a scam. Now, I want to say, for one, when it comes to what pesticides can be used, that's actually regulated. You can only use certain pesticides to be considered non-GMO or organic. And that's important to know because an example I was watching, I'm not going to bastardize anybody, any product on the show because I don't want to get sued. But I remember I was watching a ad and it said, if you use this weed killer, Call such and such law firm because it's associated with cancer and non-hospitalist lymphoma. I still can't say that word right, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, the, my friend said, you know what? This is all a scam, you know, just whatever, whatever. And I said, well, now that we're realizing that if you use these weed killers, your bad bacteria feeds on it, right? Mm-hmm. Which causes mm-hmm. gut problems, inflammation, oxidative stress, so on and so forth, right? Which leads to not just cancer but a host of other problems that it can lead to so we're now seeing these issues because they're killers that's what they do and Mm -hmm. those top weed killers are the strongest Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like what they say is you know what give me the strongest strength that there is figure out what's going to kill me and then back it up a little bit and that's (laughs) basically what these weed killers are (laughs) you know they follow they figure out how much it can kill the weeds but it's not going to kill you but it mm-hmm. can cause other problems that they really don't care about because they're making their billions of dollars, right? It's a multi-billion mm-hmm. dollar corporations. So when I first moved to America from Jamaica, I didn't know what organic was because to me, that's just farming. Mm-hmm. And most people from other countries have the same problems. It's just farming, you know? And people say, I'm like, why do you mean they don't use this? They don't use that? It's not just farming. I don't get it. Well, because we have terrible farming practice here because we're very wasteful. And that's a whole conversation I don't want to get into in this show. But the long, long short is organic is not a scam. It's a real thing. And it's helped me a lot, a whole lot mm-hmm. in my journey. Yeah. I, 
yeah, no, for sure. I've heard um, people say the same thing. Like, why, why should I pay for organic? You know, there's no difference. And I mean, organic does still have some exposure, you know, to the herbicides and the pesticides, but it's a whole lot less. And when you want to think of toxins in general in your body, you, the goal really is to reduce your load, you know, and that is one way for you to reduce the amount of toxins that you're actually ingesting and it, that is getting absorbed and is messing up your body is by switching to organic. And it's not like you have to full on switch your whole life to organic. You know, that would be great if you could, but you know, the, what is it, the environmental working group has the, the list of the dirty dozen that you can just start with, you know, that are the most, um, has the most herbicides and exposure on them. And so, and there's things you can do. And so the goal really is just to reduce your toxic load, you know, and we are already exposed to so many toxins that we can't control, like, you know, the air pollution in LA, you know, like if I'm going out, I can't be rolling a filter with me, you know, air filter, wherever I go, it's just not possible. And when I'm on the 405, you know, you're getting exposed to all that car exhaust. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, I'm not going to have a little air filter in my car, although that would be amazing. <laughs> you know, It's probably coming to be honest. I can yeah. see it. They're going to, they're going to figure it out somehow because cars are just, um, short of flying. It's they're mm -hmm. they're coming up with new technology all the time. So, which yeah. I, I would, I would kind of want to fly. So they need to hurry up with that. And that, that's our idea. So people, if you do invent that, make sure to put us on there because <laughs> yeah, make sure to patent make sure to patent yeah. because i will Car come air filters. yeah <laughs> so my host of lawyers my host of lawyers <laughs> but yeah you know so i mean what can we control right like what are the toxins that we can control we can control what we put in our body on our skin you know things like that and so organic organic foods are one of those things and i totally agree with you like i mean there are studies now that show like glyphosate um other other toxins that they use on our foods are related to these diseases. Glyphosate actually was the exact toxin I was referring to in my earlier soliloquy. Oh, um, oh, oh, sorry. Was I not supposed to say that <laughs> too? No, no, no. <laughs> that's all. No. Okay. I was like, I'm saying all these banned words on here. <laughs> I know, right? No, you know, what I was saying that with the weed killer, glyphosate was the toxin that, oh, gotcha. they, that they were referencing. Gotcha, referencing, gotcha. But anyway, so let's move on so <laughs> what roles do genetics play in developing autoimmune diseases yeah so kind of like i was mentioning with the triggers so your genes they can increase your risk for an autoimmune disease but it doesn't necessarily mean that you will develop an autoimmune disease right so um, you need those environmental triggers to actually turn it on to express it, you know, those genes. So some people, they can have these genes and never develop an autoimmune disease, right? Um, I think they're showing that in a lot of the studies that they did with twins, some would develop an autoimmune disease and some wouldn't. So what was that component, you know, that was um, causing one to develop it and one not to? And they found that majority of it had to do with like the epigenetics so the things that actually will cause those genes to express and i think the most common gene that they studied is the hla it's the human leukocyte antigen gene and that gene is responsible for um, producing something on the cells the surface of cells that your immune system will recognize and 
for some people who are more at risk or have this family history, there's like, a, it, it doesn't work properly. And so their immune system could see something and they don't recognize it as normal tissue, like their own tissue. And so their immune system will react to it. Wow. You know what? Gut health is so important for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. It's it's really insane. The more every time I interview someone, I learn something different and I'm hearing something I've never heard before. And now I'm like, my brain is just on the floor, like it's just blowing out of my mind and it's kicking around somewhere down there. <laughs> um, but that's that's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Because we feel like we're trapped with our genes, right? Like mm-hmm. I've written a book right now, Catherine Shanahan, I want to believe, um, is the is the author, and she's talking about our genes. And we for a long time, we thought that 90, 98% of our DNA was just junk DNA. But now when we talk about epigenetics, we're realizing that the things that we do can actually impact our genes. I believe our genes are what, 2% of our DNA, if I'm not, if I'm getting that right. So that 98% epigenetics influences that, which influences your genes directly. And you can turn some on or off. When I was in mm-hmm. Jamaica, people used to say to me, I'm big bone." That's why I'm overweight. Mm-hmm. My whole family is big bone. And, I, and I, to this day, I still have no idea what that means. I've never seen that in a book or anywhere. And I would, also, I would always say, I don't, I, I don't care about your bone. I'm talking about the fat that surrounds your bones. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, it's really true. We feel like we're slaves to our genes and things are this way because of our genetics. Like I'm Jamaican and people say, well, you know, you never had weight issues, which is not true. I know a lot of overweight Jamaicans and I've had, and I've fluctuated, my body weight has fluctuated. Now, mm-hmm. if I was 15, 16, or let's say early twenties and I'm skinny, you can say, okay, that's genetics. I'm 11 months away from being 40 years old and I'm in the best shape of my life. Yeah. That's not genetics. Mm-hmm. My asthma, almost every Jamaican I know struggle with asthma. Mm. No more asthma problems. March is going to make it three years that I haven't used any medication mm. whatsoever. Even when my doctor kept telling me, no, just take your medicine. I was like, no, I can't do this. I, rever- well, I reversed it, right? I made my changes. Mm-hmm. So my genetics said one thing. But I did something different, epigenetics. Mm-hmm. My blood pressure is, the, almost every Jamaican studies struggles with hypertension. I still can't understand why it's a beautiful island. But for some reason, we're very high-strung people and we shot gunshots all the time for, I don't know. It's, yeah, I thought the Jamaican and they get upset and they're like, gunshot, they're like, pow, pow, pow. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong, what's, what's wrong with you? Well, anyway, I diverse. So, you know, but we have hypertension is a big issue in Jamaica. And I, even when I was in my late 20s, my nurse looked at me and said you may need to quit your job because your stress levels are through the roof mm-hmm. and and my blood pressure was, was terrible now best my blood pressure reading i take every month best i've ever been my entire life so yes mm-hmm. epigenetics is mm-hmm. a thing and i'm living proof of that yeah that's amazing congratulations by the way and happy early birthday Thank you. Well, eleven months from now, so you're really, really early. Oh, okay. You're more like you're more, really? on, the, you're more on the late birthday because I was 29th of oh, December. But happy belated birthday! Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's so true, and I think that's, um, you know, that's why I love my medicine. You know, because they really have a belief that your body is capable to heal. You know, it has the ability to heal. It wants to heal. You just have to remove the things that are preventing it from healing, give it things to help support its healing and let her go. 
you know, and I've seen really amazing things when you do those. And it seems, I know it seems very simple, but when you actually implement them, you know, that I feel like is the hard part and just being consistent with it is where people struggle. But I mean, you're just proof of that, you know, that with consistency and actually sticking with it, doing those things that you can just get these amazing results that seem to other doctors like a miracle. They're like, we can't explain it. Like it's a miracle, but you're like, wait, what? No, I just, I did these things. <laughs> yeah. Read something from this year, please. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so let's, okay. So let's move on a little bit because this episode is going to go on forever in a day. Oh yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Let's talk about our, my best friend, inflammation and oxidative stress. I'm a fan of inflammation, just to let you know, because you mm-hmm. know that inflammation is an important process of the body. So yeah. I'm talking about chronic or excess, right? Yes. So how, how is autoimmunity connected to chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, and how is that tied into our gut? Yeah. So chronic inflammation or just excess inflammation um, can actually lead to autoimmunity and Along with that, just a hyperactivation of your immune system can lead to excess inflammation that can lead to autoimmunity and oxidative stress is related to all that um, because, you know, it can like, I guess, just sources of oxidative stress can be a lot of the triggers that we're talking about with autoimmunity and autoimmune diseases. You know, so that's a lot of inflammatory foods, toxins, um, medications, alcohol, lifestyle, you know, all those things lead to chronic inflammation which is a hyperactivation of your immune system, which can all lead to autoimmunity. And so with oxidative stress, you know, that is just when you have more production of free radicals, then your body has antioxidants to help um, keep it in control. And so when you have more free radicals than antioxidants, then again, that's going to lead towards inflammation. And that in itself can cause autoimmune diseases as well, too. And these free radicals, or they call them um, reactive oxygen species, this is actually normal. So this happens in your body, just like inflammation. Inflammation is normal. It's good. We need that in our bodies. It's just this chronic or excess amount of these things are what starts causing diseases and these chronic illnesses. And so if you have enough antioxidants in your body, then everything's okay. Know, everything balances out, but you know, your antioxidants don't only aren't only for this purpose, you know, they do a lot of other things, and people just usually aren't getting enough because they tend to be highly inflamed, so they just use up their reservoirs of antioxidants, they're not replenishing it, and so then those free radicals can go and start damaging parts of your body. So things like your DNA, you know, proteins, lipids, um, all these areas in your body. And so the police is gone when the cats away and the mice will play is what it sounds like. To me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in your gut, you know, a lot of people have um, with autoimmunity tend to have a lot of gut inflammation, leaky gut, you know, so it can all start there. And if you, I just tell people, I'm like, if you have an autoimmune disease, I just assume you have a leaky gut or gut inflammation until proven otherwise. Because I love like, that. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. But I love that. I absolutely love that. But go ahead. Yeah. So I'm like, we don't really need to test for it. I'm like, I'm just going to treat it like you have it because you probably do. And then, and then we'll just see, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. 
and you're because if you have if you have um autoimmunity, then I remember that's a step up. It's kind of like acid reflux and GERD. If you have GERD, you already had acid reflux. Like you know, it just happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's a step up. You're at level two at this point. Yeah. You know, and that's was my thing with my asthma. I'll give you a, a really cool example. It happened to me just this last few weeks. So whenever it gets cold, I cough a lot. I, right now, I generally usually cough a lot. And I remember when I started this podcast, even last year, I wasn't on medication. I, mean, I was doing better, but I still had a residual cough. And I had to hold myself from coughing during the episodes, right? And today I'm mm -hmm. running two, two interviews, no coughing whatsoever. I'm drinking my tea, my cough, my cocoa, but, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. coughing. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So last, this year, I said to myself, you know what? There has to be some reason why I'm not coughing, and I need to see what's going on. So I did a ton of research. I started coughing in December when it first got cold. And I said, okay, I have to do something because there's a reason. And I started when I was doing some more research. I was reading. I watched some YouTube, and I came across Rob Wolf. He's a brilliant biochemist. I'd love to have him on this show in the future, and I'm pretty sure I will. And he was talking about oxidative stress and he was talking about sugars. And this is not new in theory, but I didn't understand the science of how it worked. So our mitochondria have five pathways. And he explained that sugars go, mainly go through pathways one, three, four, and five. Those pathways are higher oxidative stress, higher inflammation pathways versus fats that goes through mitochondrial pathway two, which is a lower um, oxidative stress, low inflammation pathway. Now, why is that important? Well, this is the winter time when viruses um, tend to, you know, be worse, right? We have more illnesses and sicknesses and the temperatures drop, stuff like that. So just we need to be in a certain type of diet where we're eating less sugars and more healthy fats in colder months. That's why it's good to eat seasonally and locally because high sugary foods do not grow in the winter months because nature knows or God, however you want to put it, knows what your body needs. So I said, you know what? Let me do this. Let me cycle keto and see if it helps with my cough. Because if I'm going through, if I'm not eating any any sugar, which I shouldn't be anyway, and I knew better just from ancestral living, let me eat some healthy fats and cycle keto. And proof is in the pudding. No cough. No cough. Nothing whatsoever. Temperatures dropped and no cough. Cough completely went away. So again, it, the proof is in the pudding. I'm not saying anybody should do what I do. I'm not diagnosing anybody. Please listen to your doctor, listen to your nutritionist, listen to your dietitian. I'm not telling you to go out there and just go on keto. And also I cycle keto, but that's a different story for another day. I, have, I should have an episode on the importance of cycling keto and not being on keto, Casper, which are good enzymes. Mm -hmm. But listen to your, your medical experts. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is there are things you can do to take care of your health. And I am living proof of that. Yeah. Oh my, I feel like I'm learning something too. I'm like writing this down. <laughs> there we go. So, <laughs> yeah, so no, let's, I mean, makes sense. You know, eating. So let, let's talk about over-the-counter pills and medicine, because mm -hmm. I love this. It was a quote from um, Dr. Stephen Gundry, the first book I picked up actually, when I started working on my gut health. And he was talking about, um, when we take um, antibiotics, sorry, and how they, they, there's like dropping a gut, a bomb on your gut and your healthy gut fauna. And when it grows back, it doesn't grow back the same, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. What are some over-the-counter pills and medicine that destroy your gut fauna? Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely antibiotics 
like I feel like we can't talk about gut and pharmaceuticals or over the counters without talking about antibiotics, even though they're not necessarily over the counter. But so many people still take them and take them continuously. And it it's just I my brain just can't get around that because it's totally true. It's like blowing up a bomb in your gut microbiome. And if you don't heal that and replenish it, then it's, it's going to affect so many other things because our microbiome is not just the collection of these microbes. They, they have functions, many different kinds of functions, not only for your immune system, but for the rest of your body. And so, you know, if you, even if you just take one course of antibiotics, I think there was a study or a paper on this, um, it can affect your gut microbiome for up to a year, depending mm. on, and that's just one course of antibiotics, you know? So if you're taking multiple courses throughout the year, or you're just on a continuous, there's some people that are on continuous antibiotics, you know, you can just imagine what that's doing to your gut, to your immune system, you know, for the rest of your body. Wow. That's great. So before that, I want to back up a little bit because I consider over-the-counter pills before we get to antibiotics, right? Mm -hmm. I consider those like gateway drugs, right? Like you start off with those and eventually you have these side effects. It's like Phoebe from Friends when she uh, she had a headache and Monica gave her pills and then her headache went away. She's like, this feels amazing because Phoebe doesn't take pills. And then Monica's, and she's like, oh, you have some nice instructions on the back. And she started reading it. And when she's like, and Monica's like, no, those are the side effects. And she's like, the what now? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's how, so they have side effects. So I consider them, you know, if, the reason why they have side effects is because they destroy other things that your body needs. It's just the way I look at it. Yeah. So how do you look at over-the-counter pills as far as they're leading up to you actually needing to take stronger stuff? Yeah. I mean, there's a time and a place, right? Um, and so I usually try to recommend people do it naturally because a lot of these over-the-counters or pharmaceuticals in general get their, you know, their synthetic versions of herbs really, you know? And so you can just find a lot of these things like NSAIDs, for example, and anti-inflammatories and things like that through herbs. And so, you know, of course you want to work with a herbalist or a naturopathic doctor a professional who knows how to dose these herbs appropriately and drug interactions and things like that. But like NSAIDs are a really good example. You know, people just pop that like it's candy, but they don't realize that, you know, going back to like oxidative stress, that NSAIDs really deplete glutathione. And glutathione is like your master antioxidant. You know, it is amazing. And so, and it's, for most people, if you're already chronically inflamed, you're probably already depleted in glutathione. And then if you're already inflamed, you're like, I'm just going to pop an NSAID and it's going to help my inflammation. It can actually be doing, you know, it's just creating this like cycle of like just never ending chronic inflammation. And I mean, not only that, NSAIDs can mess up your gut microbiome, cause ulcers, things like that, that I feel like people just aren't aware of or just don't know about. And then pills also have fillers and and other things that are, guess what? Not in herbs. I drink some stuff that will make a grown man's stomach turn. I say that all the time. Like it's, to me, they taste fine. They taste great. They're probiotics. Like on the Zico, Zico recommended, Zico recommendation page. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have any probiotics on there mm-hmm. because I'm not saying I don't believe in probiotics, but most of them are not live culture that can survive the acidic nature of our gut. Number one. Number two, if you're not drinking bitter foods and fermented foods that are good for your gut, don't go out there and grab probiotics and you're going to be okay. You need to do the natural intervention first. And a lot of these are really stuff that you don't need a nutritionist for. You don't need a nutritionist to buy kombucha. You don't need mm-hmm. a nutritionist <laughs> to drink tea. You know, these are just things that our ancestors knew, figured it out naturally, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't put any probiotics on there. And if somebody comes to me and asks, I recommend them to a nutritionist or a doctor that I know and trust. But I don't start with the probiotics. You need, and then all the, not only do you need to get probiotics, but you need prebiotics, which is food for the probiotics. You take the probiotics, you don't feed them, then what's the point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let's talk about gut microbiome diversity why is that important for our health yeah so your microbiome you want it to be as diverse as possible because they all do different things you know they all have different functions so when you take an antibiotic you're essentially wiping out that diversity and what happens is these usually bad things bad microbes tend to overgrow you know, and then they're going to want to do their own bad things that are not really helpful for you. And so, you know, with then, you, and that's why you have to replenish your microbiome. You have to re, replenish that diversity uh, because like just for your immune system, for example, like they help regulate different T cells. They help regulate inflammation. They help regulate um, just your, that whole mucus barrier you know, things like that. And so that I think people don't really think about when they're either taking antibiotics or these medications or just eating foods that are very inflammatory. And so it can really affect your whole body. And it's also linked to not only autoimmune diseases, but like obesity. Um, and I think cancers, you know, a lot of these uh, chronic inflammatory diseases. Because they work together, right? And mm-hmm. One of the things when it comes to gut microbiome is our food plays a big role in that, in my opinion, because it's even if, you, even if you're trying to lose weight, we get into this. I know we're busy people, but we get into um, food, food prep on steroids where we Monday or Sunday, we prepare the whole week's worth of food. Well, uh, different foods feed different um, bacteria in our bodies. And we need to be uh, changed up as much as we can. Now, if you have to bring your lunch to work, I get it. If you, if you better eat healthy and eat the crap that they sell out in Burger King, McDonald's, all, all those places. I don't care about, they're not going to sue me because they know they're crap anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you can cook every day something different for dinner, eat the rainbow, you know, purple mm-hmm. in your in your beets, I believe carries iron, I believe. And then, or, you know, if you're looking at your green vegetables, you need those as well. Those carry something different, like, like dark green vegetables that carry magnesium and so on and so forth. They all feed something different, which creates that diversity, which helps to police and take care of your gut. And again, that's how when you take these medic- medications, especially antibiotics, and you just drop a bomb and just destroy everything, then you eventually feel worse and you have to take more and more. That's why I moved from one medication for my asthma to three until I say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And you have a microbiome, um, you know, just not only in your gut, but other places in your body. And your gut, though, is, is really important because 
And this is one of the reasons why it's good to eat uh, local and seasonal because the, the dirt on the plants or the fruits, you know, are local to that area. So it can actually help. Uh, I, I think I read this somewhere. It, the, those gut microbes train your immune system. You know, they help train it to recognize what is um, good, what is harmful, what's harmless. You know, it can help you in that area as well to, you know, get those diverse like bacteria in that area. And that can help people who say have allergies or um, asthma too, you know, allergy, asthma, eczema, they're all kind of connected as well. And yeah, I mean, gut, those microbes, they do a lot. <laughs> so vital. And then gut enzymes, which I'm not going to get into the whole story on that because I have, I do have a, an episode on gut enzymes as well. So that's going to be I think early January is when that one was released. So go back and listen to that too. You can learn about gut enzymes and how to help you to break down different foods and why it's important to cycle keto and high carbs so you can maintain diverse gut enzymes. So the, the mm -hmm. topic of the, of the topic of this part of the podcast, diversity. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Now, what are some ways, and I know we already talked about health for gut, and I talked about, you know, things I've done to improve my gut as far as eating bitter foods, probiotics, um, you know, feeding our gut, feeding our healthy bacteria in our large intestine and colon. But what are some extra tips that you may have? Um, something that's really good, too, is exercise. Exercise um, actually shows to benefit your microbiome. And that, you know, if you're sedentary, it actually can lead to dysbiosis, which is an imbalance in your gut microbiome. And if you can get outdoors, even better, because again, you're getting exposed to like nature and the dirt and the microbes that live in that environment. And so that can actually make your immune system a little bit stronger. You know, that's why I think there was another study that showed, um, you know, farmers, kids that live on farms tend to have a more um, a tougher immune system, more resilient. I've seen to, that. Yeah. And, you know, just being outdoors and getting dirty. Um, so same with like pets, you know, that's also really good to have if you have um, different pets, because they have all kinds of stuff on them too. <laughs> so just getting exposed, your immune system gets exposed to different things. So all those things are, are really helpful. And, and just, I think things that you can do now too, is just like you said, just eating a diversity of vegetables and fruits. And I just tell people, I'm like, go shop somewhere you never would shop of, you like never even heard of, you know, so whether that's like in, in a specialty store, like an Asian store, you know, wherever I'm like, go there, grab a bunch of vegetables that you've never heard of <laughs> and, and eat them. <laughs> I guarantee you they're not synthetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just be careful of the pesticides, but you know, Wash them real good. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Or try to get organic, you know? Yeah. Um, organic do use pesticides, by the way. They don't just they grow do. in, the, in the, you know, the maggots eat them. And I don't say maggots. I'm not a farmer. But you know what I'm mm -hmm. getting. The bugs yeah. just eat them and then you get whatever the bugs spit out. That's not how it yeah. works. They do yeah. use pesticides. It's just a lot more regulated. Yeah. Um, now, we've talked a lot about gut. And I think most of my listeners actually know a lot about gut health if they've been listening to me because we talk about it so much. So, I mean, and you've given us a lot, a ton of wonderful information. But I want to quickly touch on multiple sclerosis because you just talked about exercise, how important is it for a gut? And I need to do a follow-up episode on that, actually. Mm -hmm. 
But what about exercise and multiple sclerosis? What's the connection there? Yeah, so I think there's been a few studies done with exercise and autoimmune diseases and with multiple sclerosis as well. And there was one study that showed that, um, I think about it said 50% of people that were affected with multiple sclerosis will develop um, depression, like actually diagnosed with depression. And it, the depression can also affect um, their decision-making, cognition, um, their um, ability to adhere to the treatment protocols that are given to them. And so they found that when they do exercise, that it actually helps benefit their depression. It can improve their cognition, their mood, their energy, and then also physically, like their mobility, their balance, and their strength. And so there's actually a lot of benefit if you do have multiple sclerosis to exercise. And then also just in general with autoimmune disease, exercise can also help um, leaky gut. So it can help your gut barrier. It helps actually improve, like we talked about the diversity of your microbiome in your gut and it helps inflammation. So it has all these great benefits and it's free. <laughs> So given that my understanding of a multiple sclerosis is that it is connected to chronic inflammation. Mm -hmm. So if exercise can then help to lower, especially if a proper exercise, don't just go running for just no reason, but proper exercise can help to, especially we're talking about like weight training, you know, weight, weight bearing exercise helps strengthen your bones, um, slower zone two type training that, that helps to keep your cortisol levels balanced promote more fat burning, have your mitochondria use, use uh, more um, fat my pathway, pathway to, I can't talk anymore towards the end of the episode. I think I'm running out of gas. Um, so the right, the right exercise as well can definitely help with not just multiple sclerosis, but other diseases that are bone related, right? So you, yeah. I, I've had clients nice. that, that when I, that had had MS, right? And while I work with them, I'm not going to say heal because I'm not a doctor and I'm not Jesus or Buddha or any of those, but they get better when they work with me, especially when they weight train. And that's why everything has to be specific. When I train a client, some clients weight train more than others. Some clients have I do high intensity. I change up nutrition based on how they're training because it has to be specific because if you train, you can learn from somebody else. But when you train in a way that's best for you, that's when you feel astastic. Yeah, I came up with a new yeah. one. Astastic. <laughs> oh, I like that. It's another T-shirt. But uh, but yeah, I I would agree. I usually refer people out um, for exercise, and because exactly like you said, you know, a lot of times when you're working with autoimmune disease or just chronic inflammation, it's very easy to overtrain. And then to actually make your symptoms worse. And so then you associate that with like exercise is bad, but that's not it. It's just that you need to figure out what exercise is best for you. You know, what program works for you, where to start. Some people have to start very slow, very low, you know, uh, and you just have to That's usually, you know, it's out of my scope and that's not my expertise. And so I will usually refer people out to get that help and to really get a program specific for them. I think it's really important. And if they can't, then I'm like, okay, well, we need to figure out a place for you to start somewhere. <laughs> Send them to Norado Zico Powell. I'll get them right. Okay, there um, you go. I'll send it to you. <laughs> so um 
how can my clients, uh, and my, I shouldn't say my clients, my audience get in touch with you? Yeah, I am on Instagram. So I am at Dr. Nicole ND and I have a link in bio and it has all the ways you can contact me there. Or you can reach me at my website, which is Dr. Fujiyama ND. And I have a page where you can contact me or if you're interested in becoming a patient, there's also a new patient tab and you can fill out the appropriate form. She's a fantastic doctor. I've been following her for at least a year now. She's a fantastic doctor. And uh, as you can tell, a very easy person to talk to. So, which is very important in a practitioner. You want somebody that listens and can really help you instead of just going down to listen, saying, try this medicine and come back next month. So all all of her contact information will be in the show notes along with the Zico um, recommendation page. And of course, the show notes are going to be in the description of the podcast, but this one's going to be zikahealth.com slash Nicole F. Yeah, keep it easy. First name, last initial to keep everything consistent. So zikahealth.com slash Nicole Health. Nicole, thank you so much. This was a wonderful interview. A little unique, but I absolutely loved it. And I definitely want to have you on the show in the future. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, coworkers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.